Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> the topic of today is the church. We're going to do something we normally don't do, just reading through the second chapter of Acts. All right. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They were sitting in a house, very interesting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And of them were filled with the and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one had heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Perithians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We heard them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? <clears throat> Some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. And Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. <clears throat> Excuse me. Fellow Jews, and all of you live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say to you. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. No, this was what was spoken of you by the prophet Joel. Really interesting. St. Peter, 50... 55 days earlier or so, 54 days earlier. What happened? Denied him. This is a different Peter. What's the difference? In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. <clears throat> Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles. Signs, I'm sorry, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's uh, set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he sat at my right hand, I will not be forsaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope. Because you do, will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made it known to me 
the paths of life, and you will fill me with, uh, with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would, be a, uh, that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at, the right, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off from all whom the Lord God will call. With many other words, he warned them, and they pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the numbers in that day. And they, voted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles, and all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. And they gave to anyone who, uh, as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. And they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their numbers daily those who were being saved. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2. Actually, reading is not my gift. Nevertheless... Well, I could do, go down many different avenues regarding uh, this topic today uh, of the church. I'm going to kind of keep it narrow and specific. Um, and so just, just, just for the purpose of our foundation series, I'm just going to nail the basics. But this passage we, we just read is, is what, what we call Pentecost. It was on the Feast of, of Pentecost. And Pentecost is basically 50 days after uh, after Passover, and that's when Jesus was crucified. In uh, so the the question that I, I come to my my mind when I'm thinking about this is well, what happened between the time Jesus died and what happened between this pouring out of the Holy Spirit? And so it's interesting if you flip back to uh, Luke, I'm sorry, Acts chapter one. Luke gives a synopsis and writes in verse three. He being Jesus, appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. And on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John, and, he, and he reminds them, For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And so 
in that time, Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's opening up their minds to the scriptures. He's doing all these amazing things. And he tells them at, at, towards the end of it, he says, oh, what I want you to do is I want you to go wait and pray in Jerusalem for the gift that the Father is going to give you. And just a side note, how many of you like to do math and all that great stuff? <clears throat> yeah, okay, you're, you can leave now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so if there are 50 days between when Jesus died and when uh, in Pentecost, and it says that he spoke to them for 40 days, and we know that there was three days in the grave. How many days between when Jesus ascended and the Holy Spirit came? Interesting number. <laughs> I was just looking at that last night. I was going, that's kind of weird. Seven. Seven days. Go wait. I'm going to pour it out on you. How many of us would wait seven days? My goodness. That's a long time to be praying and waiting. But after Jesus told them to wait until they, until they would receive power, in Acts 1.6 it says, and then they gathered around him. So Jesus is talking to him. He says, go wait for the Holy Spirit. And they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? I just picture a bunch of kids in the back of a car, you know, on a long drive. They know where we're going. They know the end thing. They're going every five minutes. Are we there yet? I mean, this is totally the, the disciples. All the, okay, who's going to be in control? Am I going to have power? Are you going to have power? Are we there yet, God? I, I know you're going to restore Israel. You're gonna, is it now? And that's what they were focused on. And God, believe me, his heart is focused on Israel. And I believe it is today. And his hand of protection will be upon it. But as you... As, as we see that that wasn't God's entire plan. As, if you, as you get into Romans and all these other verses, it talks about that's the catalyst. That was the beginning of God's plan. It was through the nation of Israel, through Abraham, that all nations would be blessed. It did not stop there. It started there. And, you know, we're, we're proof of that today, that we're sitting here. And, and if you look in Luke 24, uh, if you flip over to Luke 24, verse 44, actually, I'll just read it for you, which is the same account as Acts chapter 1. Luke is just repeating what he said in Acts 24 for all of us. But he said to them in verse 44 of Luke 24, this is what I told you when I was still with you before I was crucified. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he, ordered, then he opened their minds that they could understand the scriptures. What did, what did uh, Peter just quote to the crowds? Prophets and who else? And David? Psalms? And you're going to see that when they choose the 11th disciple, his mind is just open to Scripture and, and, and interpretation. It's just amazing how Jesus opened their mind to the Old Testament, to see Jesus in the Old Testament. But it goes on and it says, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. And he told them, this is what was written. The Messiah will suffer and he will rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The plan wasn't just for Israel. The plan 
if you caught it, was repentance and forgiveness of sins to be preached in his name to all nations. All. That's hard to think beyond Walla Walla, isn't it? It's hard to think that if God was doing a work here that he might want to take that and expand it somewhere else. God is not greedy. God is a missionary God. Right? We say that all the time, but that Jesus, his very self, left heaven, to, came to a different place to give of himself, became one of us. And that's the whole idea of missions is to go and be a part of a different culture, to sacrifice who you are, to become like them, to reveal God's gospel to them. It's pretty amazing. And, and really, that's a picture of the church, but we'll get there in just a bit. But he says to, them, to the disciples, you are witnesses of these things. And God's plan started in Israel, but it wasn't to stop there. It was to be preached to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And what we read in the second chapter of Acts was what we call the birth of the church. The birth of the church, whose purpose is to be a witness of Jesus Christ and his message to mankind. That's one of the main purposes, right? I would say it's right up there in the top. We're witnesses of Jesus Christ. We're a picture of we're, we're, we're witnesses, we've received the message, we've believed it, we've repented, we've turned towards the Lord. We are we're, uh, ministers of reconciliation, the Bible says. We've been affected, and therefore because we've been affected, we share that with others because that's what God would want to do. We'll get into that in a minute. But we, we define, uh, we'll define what the Bible means by church in a second, but first we have to address a problem. Did you read the word church there in Acts chapter 2? I didn't read it. Actually, it doesn't come up until chapter 5. And Jesus only said it twice in the Gospels. And it was Matthew chapter uh, 16, 18, where he was speaking to Peter. And he says, I tell you, Peter, that you are Peter. Sorry, I tell you that you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And again, in Matthew 18, verse 16, he says, and this is speaking about church discipline. He says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Now the problem is the church wasn't created yet in Matthew 18, is it? So what does that mean? The word church means gathering. It's the iglesia. It's the gathering. It's a group of people. It's a group of people. It helps to know this as we're looking at the Bible. We have come to define the church as what? A building. But in the Bible, there wasn't such thing as the church building. Did not exist. They met in the temple. They met in homes. But the church always referred to the people. Now, we're blessed to have a place we can call kind of our church and come to, right? So I'm not knocking that whatsoever. But we've got to, I think, change our mindset a little bit in this. Because the Bible, in the Bible, there was always referring to the people, not the building. You are the church. You're the precious church of Christ. So instead of saying, hey, uh, what is the church? You know, when we're asking that question, we say, who are the church? Different. So to find out, really, who are the church, that's kind of a weird way of saying it, but let's go back to Acts 2, specifically verse 37. Who are the church? Not the building, but the people. You are the church. What makes you the church? Now, we just read this big, long sermon that Peter gave. And it cut these people to the heart. 
They were changed. They said, oh my gosh, what do we do? And they cried out in, in verse 37. Verse 38, Peter replies of Acts chapter 2. It says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, from all whom the Lord will call. And so, what does one have to do to become part of the gathering of the church? What are they defined by? The first thing they did is what? What was that? Yeah, well, they gathered together, you bet. But what, what was it that they had to do? They were responding, right? What was the first thing he says? Okay, hold on. What must you do? What must we do? And he says what? Repent. What was the first thing Jesus said when he came on the scene? Repent. Not hello, how are you? Welcome to... Repent. Very seeker friendly. I know. Jesus would like have a church of two today, right? Boy, repent. And what does it mean to repent? That's a very weird word in our culture, isn't it? has a lot of, uh, I'd say, negative connotations to it, right? And, and, and because of these things, many, many churches have changed lingo to try to, to try to affect a different culture in a different way, but we're still holding on to what it says. And so to, what does it mean to repent? Right, to change one's mind, to turn away from, to turn towards. Correct? So after hearing the gospel message preached to them, Peter tells them to repent and be baptized, right? And we're going to get into this in just a second. But to repent. Repent is that turning away from sin and turning towards God. Baptism is that public declaration that you are uh, that you're all in Christ, that you are fully identified with Jesus Christ. And so, uh, where did my note go here? Five, six, here we are. But ba- baptism is the public declaration that you are, you're all in, that you fully identify with Jesus Christ and his life, his death, his resurrection. It's the wedding band that says, hey, I'm his. The churches are those who have responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ through faith. It's not a building. It's not a building whatsoever. But notice that Jesus says to repent. The very first thing, we'll we'll just kind of review these real quickly. There's basically three things there that kind of make up the church in general. But the first is repent. I like what David Guzik said about repentance. He says, repentance must never be thought of as something we must do before we can come back to God. Repentance describes what coming to God is. You can't turn towards God without turning from the things he is against. Repentance is turning away from the things he's against and turning towards God. It's an action. It's a heart. It's a mind change. Now, why? Now, this is a little bit of thinking. Why would they repent? Why would they change? What causes you to act? This is a little deeper. Pain? Okay, we're getting right. This is it. Conviction. Why are they convicted? Because Holy Spirit's bringing, illuminating things in their lives? What causes you to do things in your life? Well, that could be, but 
What I'm getting at is that they, they believed. They had a belief. They believed the message. If they didn't believe the message, are they going to change their actions? No need. And so the very first thing, and it's kind of, if you go down to verse 40, it says, with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them to save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And verse 41 says, those who accepted his message and were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Belief. We come to Christ, we believe the message. That's the number one thing. That's what makes the church, first of all. You don't come to community, you come to a person. And then you are brought into the community. The church has it backwards these days. Don't you think? Come and hang out and let's experience Christian culture. Right? I'm serious. It's all about Christian culture instead of him. And we try to draw people in through, you know, the bells and the whistles and, oh, my gosh, look at these really cool things we have. It's the person. It's him. We come to Jesus. That's it. These people don't need to be convinced to go to church. They realize in their heart what happened. I'm broken. The message is, this is the message that, that Jesus was saying. Hey, God's wrath is coming, and Jesus is the way. He, he, he died for those things so that God could forgive you, and it would be gone. And not only that, he rose again on the third day so that you will also rise again and be with him forever and ever. Really cool stuff. They believed it. And so, these, the, so he said, what shall we do? Peter said, well, I'm going to give you two things to do right away. I want you to repent. I think this is what the Lord's saying. Repent, turn from what you're doing. And now, was, Jesus, was, was Peter preaching his own message? Where did he learn that from? Who had he been trained by for three years, for two and a half years? Jesus. Yeah, that's the correct answer every time, right? <laughs> you watch Jesus. Seven or Jesus, right? Yeah. Repent, turn from your sin. That's what Jesus said. That's the same message that Peter got his first chance of, of, of really on his own public ministry filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit says, repent, turn. He preaches the word to them. Was not, he, was, he was unashamed. He was just out there with it. He preached. He didn't preach about money. He didn't preach about, you know, how to get your family back together right away, right? The core issue, the very first thing he talks about is our need for reconciliation with God. It means to be right with God. And there will be people pulling at you in every, every way because the enemy is at work here on planet Earth that you do not need to humble yourself before God. You're good enough, you're smart enough, and people like you, there's no, you don't need that. Or the other way to where, you know, if you just work enough, that God will accept you. If you just do enough religious things, and at the end of your life, you'll, you'll, there's a scale. And that is a lie too. It's not. It's that Jesus paid it all. He is my only hope. He's the one who washes away all of my sins. That's it. Belief in that message. Now, belief requires what? Action. 
The gospel is not separated from action. It has to have action. That's what James goes at length saying. Say, if you really are this, then let me see it in your life. Otherwise, faith without works is dead. You know, I think Gandhi talked about it. He said, you know, you know, I, I like Jesus. It's just the Christians I have trouble with. You know, paraphrasing. Why is that? What about the change? What about the difference? What about the life that's showing? I've undergone the change, you know? Love that song. But the first thing is they accepted the message. The second thing is they showed it. By repenting, they turned from sin. You know what sin is. Sin is breaking God's heart. When God says, do not lie, and you're a liar, boy, calls you out on it. Do not lust. Don't, don't steal. These things destroy us as a nation. They destroy our families. They destroy people. They destroy societies. God's pointing it out to us. Sin. We know it. And it gets really complicated. But same result. Death. Separation from God. God says, turn from that stuff and turn towards me. Turn away from it. And notice the third thing that he gives him. He says, you know what? I want you to repent and be baptized. I don't want you just to turn away from those things. I want you to be fully identified with Jesus Christ. I want you to be all in. I think that's what God is calling us. I want you to be all in. I want a public declaration. I am married to Christine, and I love her. She is my wife, and no other person can have my heart. I'm hers. That's what this says. And hopefully my actions show it, right? But that's what baptism is. Getting into the water and sitting like Jesus lived. Going under the water like his death. Being immersed. I no longer live. That person stays under. And I am risen like Christ. And now Christ lives in me. That baptism aspect. Three things. You know, so I, I, I would ask, you know, I would ask, how, how are you on this thing? Do you believe the message? That there's no other way but Jesus? Have you asked him to forgive you for your sins? And do you know that he will and has if you've asked him? It's done. It's completed. Just like he said, there will be, let there be light. Your sins are no more because he said it. You're forgiven. You're free. It's a good thing. Yeehaw. But where we get stuck as Christians is we try to keep on living that dead life with a Spirit of God inside of us. And that is the most miserable state. And that is what I think most of us are experiencing. Is Jesus says, you know what? Unless that, that kernel of wheat goes into the ground and dies, nothing's going to come of it. We have to die, church. And I'm talking to myself. I do all the time. Not yeah, both of those things. <clears throat> but when we die, Jesus lives. When we hold on, the Lord is grieved, the Holy Spirit's grieved. You know, it's like that analogy of, of the moon and, and the earth and, and the sun and all those things and 
you know, you have the sun shining, which is God, and, and the more, and you're kind of like the moon, and the more the world gets in between you, the more dark you are. You know, but the more that the, the world is is away from that full shining radiance of God, the more you're able to reflect his glory and reflect the things that he He wants. You know, it's a, it's a broken analogy, but I see it in my life. What are those things the Lord's speaking in your heart about? Turn, you know, just turn from it. Not only turn away from it, but turn towards him. And notice the Peter from chapter, uh, from the end of the Gospels. And you hear, what's the difference? Did Peter just get excited? Was it in his own strength? What was it? Holy Spirit. Boy, Peter strived and strived. He had all the willpower in the world to follow Jesus. You can't do supernatural things in our natural strength. We need a supernatural strength in our life. And the Holy Spirit is here for us. God wants to pour himself out in you and use you and fill you. However, sin, it's kind of like it decreases. And now believe me, God uses people all the time. Don't get me wrong, but it's people who, you know, I'm, God's heart, he's just looking for people who are humble. He's looking for people who are, are just a heart, their hearts towards him. Look at King David. That guy was a mess, wasn't he, in so many ways? Then why is it that God said his heart is towards me and he's got a, a heart like me? Because he kept pursuing him, kept loving him. Yeah, he blew it, but after he blew it, he would respond to the Holy Spirit. He'd call it out. It was a life that was continually pursuing God. And that is what our life should be like as Christians, pursuing God, not all these other things first, but him first. And then the other things, right? Is he your pursuit? And really... I think when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, don't put things on top of it, you know, to let it. What are those things in our lives that are keeping us from shining? And that's another message. Because <clears throat> he wants you to go blowtorch on the world, you know? <clears throat> but repent and be baptized. Baptism, that public declaration that you are all in, that you fully identify with Jesus Christ. How many of you... Um, have taken the plunge, you know? If you haven't, let's do it. Jesus said, be baptized. Are you with me? Then declare it. And not only declare it, just live it. We will have a baptism here in, in a couple of weeks. We're going to work out the details. But seriously, last time I asked if anybody wanted to be baptized, no one did. We haven't had anybody baptized here in a while. And, you know, my brother Terry over there is going, what's going on, God? Why aren't people, you know, coming to the Lord? What's going on? What, what, where, we're kind of, something's awry. Something's broken. Something needs to be changed. Something's going on. You know? That's a wise assessment. And I think we should each ask that in our heart. Lord, am I all in? Am I going to the church or am, or am I the church? You know? That's what my friends and I used to say. 
you know, pastor, stop going to church and start being the church. You know, we'd say that to each other. Because, you know, when you're in ministry, you're at church all the time. Who knows where I am? <clears throat> but we're not a building. We meet in one. But we are the gathering of those bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And we are a part of a greater gathering of brothers and sisters in Walla Walla, and a great, even a greater gathering in Washington State, in the United States, North America, and so forth, and the other side of the world. There are people in the middle of the jungle somewhere right now praising God at nighttime that are your dear brothers and sisters. And it's amazing how sometimes you can have an even closer connection. And we'll talk about this really briefly when we get into fellowship. But it's, it's just amazing, the body of Christ. His gathering is from every tongue, every nation, every tribe. And one day soon he's coming to gather the wheat from the tares. You are that wheat. But until that day, we continue to be witnesses. And just like our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, we are witnesses of Jesus Christ, his kingdom, his forgiveness, his love. And so here we are today. Now to end, how does that happen? Where, where does the, where do we be, how do we function as a church? Let's just show the natural response of what happened in that, in that early Acts church, and we'll end with the, these four things. Acts 20, 40 through 42, okay? We're the church, so what does the church look like? And here it is, Acts 20, 40 through 42. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accept his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their numbers that day. In verse 42, Acts 2, 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and a prayer. This kind of encapsulates what that early church was, what they looked like, what they were doing, what the Spirit was doing in their community. And I think just starting off again is, is those who were saved, they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the one who devoted himself to them. The word is continually devoting themselves. It wasn't just a one-time thing. They continually devoted themselves. This is a willful thing here. They reprioritized their lives around Jesus. That day changed them. They were different. They said, no longer am I going to live my life in this manner. I am living after him. And what does that look like? And they sought out the rest of their lives to live like that. They abandoned things they had been a part of their whole lives to seek after Jesus. They were ostracized from their families, many of them. They had a new family, the family of Christ, the body of Christ, the church, the gathering. But they devoted themselves to four things, and we're going to close with these quickly. The apostles' teaching. Apostles' teaching, number one. What is this? Jesus told the apostles, in the 11 apostles in Matthew 28, 11, he said, Jesus, this is, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. The apostles' doctrine is teaching the church to obey Jesus Christ. 
to be submitted to him as the Lord. The early church were constantly learning how to obey Jesus. They were asking questions. They were studying scripture. They were listening to messages online, you know. Uh, in Bible studies, they were doing all these things. They were networking. You know, not to gain knowledge for knowledge's sake, right? But to continue to live after Jesus. They were, de they were desiring to know what he says and how does this all work? They were shaping their lives after his. They were allowing the Holy Spirit to just mold them giving up their ways of death and taking on the things of life. And I would just ask the church here today, the gathering here today, are you seeking God in this manner? Are you seeking God out in, in how to obey Jesus Christ? You know, if not, repent. <laughs> you know, get, get in the study, seek him out. Well, I don't have time. Make time. Devote yourself. Get rid of other things in your life. This is a priority. You know, and you know, sometimes, sometimes we can work. You know, listen. If it doesn't work to get together with someone at night, go grab a couple of like-minded people and get together in the afternoon for lunch or in the morning once a week or once whatever it is. You know what I'm saying? Go do it. Grab a brother and sister. Open in the scriptures. But I don't know how to teach. You don't have to teach. We're not teaching. We're learning. Right? Open it up and go, what in the world is this saying? I don't know. What do you think? No one knows? Pray about it. Amen? You don't need the sanction of the church. Go crack open a Bible with your brothers and sisters and pray together and seek Him. Let it get gloriously out of control. And if you get wacky and barking and clucking, we'll go come talk to you and write, write an epistle. You know what I'm saying? Let the Holy Spirit bless you. Be in the Apostles' Doctrine. I know that sounds weird, but be in the Word. Let it be a part of your life. Let it change you. Secondly, fellowship. This is the Greek word for koinonia. That helps everything. So, Fellowship, association, community, communion, joint participation. There's other word I can't say in here. But a very close unity. But it's in the Spirit. We're connected in the spirit. That's why I can walk into Guitar Center and all of a sudden see a person and just somehow our hearts are attracted towards one another. I'm going, hey, brother, how you doing? And just we just know that they're, they're a Christian. And all of a sudden, I don't even know what denomination, whatever, but we, we're just talking about Jesus. We have koinonia. And, we, and, and Paul says, get fellowship with one another. Associate with one another. Dedicate yourselves to, uh, Peter's saying this, dedicate yourselves being in and around us. This is difficult for some of us recluses, especially if you're in a lot of pain. Right? But dedicate yourself. It's hard. Be around. Be in fellowship with others. Third, breaking of bread. Eating together. This includes the Lord's Supper, you know? The early church was sharing meals with each other. Who do you share meals with? Normally? Family. So when you're sharing meals with these other people, what is it saying? You're my family. And in that culture, it was really interesting. It's kind of disgusting. But they had one pole, one bowl in the middle. And they'd have like a piece of bread, a common bowl of whatever soup or whatever they made. And they'd take the bread and they'd break it off. And they'd all dip from the same bowl, all the devil dipping and all that stuff going on. 
Yeah. It's like Orthodox communion. Do I have to drink from the same cup? You know. <laughs> but the idea, you know what I'm just saying? The idea of of the same thing that you're eating, I'm eating. The same thing that's new treating me is, is you. We are one in Christ. We are one family. This, this whole idea of, fellow, of fellowship and breaking of bread, eating together. The common bowl, you know. And so lastly, uh, lastly, they devoted themselves to prayer. And we'll speak on this in a few weeks, but the early church people were people of prayer. They prayed. They learned how to pray. They were dependent upon God, and God did miraculous things in their midst. How we need to be people of prayer. You know, and I'm talking about these things, and it's kind of like, great, one more thing to do, Matt. One more thing to change. One more thing to, you know, what I'm not doing right. That's not it. That's not it at all. Put your eyes upon Jesus the author and finisher of your faith, how he loves you. And how he set this place up, these people around to be a blessing for you. I met my wife in the context of the church, of serving God. I was taken out of horrible sin and had new family, new friends, learned how to be, you know, a parent and a dad and all these things. I'm still learning through the body of Christ. God is healing me through you. Now, there are needs and wants and, and things and brokenness in my family that are being healed through the elder board, that are being healed through you guys. And I just want to encourage you to just go all in. If you've been discouraged and the enemy has isolated you, what she wants to do, if you feel isolated, I encourage you to surrender that to, to the Lord and to embrace the brother and sister, embrace fellowship, embrace study, embrace prayer, embrace these things. Just do it, whether you feel like it or not. Go for it. And let God minister to you and build you up. It's the church. It's the gathering. Amen? So remember, you're the light of the world. You are the witness. Abide in him. Pray and obey and watch the Lord do wondrous things in and through you. That's kind of what I was thinking. So let's all stand. <clears throat> Father, we, we thank you for sending your son, for taking us out of the world in, in that we will not be judged, Lord, for our sin, but Jesus was crucified for us. We thank you that we have life in him. We pray that we wouldn't just hold this to ourselves, but we would shine. And I pray that you would unify us in you. Pray for those who are feeling left out and far away and far corners. I pray that you'd provide opportunities for them to engage and to be ministered to in love. God, will you just bless this church so that we could be a blessing to others. In the name of Jesus, amen.